Welcome to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. This series is designed to introduce students to different career options that are in demand and share the path each practitioner has taken to arrive in their current position. The most valuable work that we could do is helping people be more successful on the job, helping them be better critical thinkers, helping them overcome procrastination, teach them how to be better managers, leaders, manage upward. But unfortunately, too few people come to see us for that. Hello, everybody. This is your host of the Career 100 podcast, Felicia Gopal. And today we're continuing our series on the top 100 careers. And I'm excited about today's guest. U.S. News calls him the job coach extraordinaire. Today we're going to be continuing our series and we're going to be talking with somebody who is a career coach. The San Francisco Bay Guardian called him the Bay Area's best career coach. In the past 26 years, he's been a career counselor for over 4,000 clients and enjoys a 96% client satisfaction rate. He writes two columns a week, one for AOL.com and the other for U.S. News. He's in his 24th year as the host of work for Marty Nimco on National Public Radio Station in San Francisco. He holds a PhD from University of California at Berkeley and he subsequently taught there. He's the author of seven books and thousands of his published writings are on martynimco.com. Marty, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the Career 100 podcast. My pleasure to try to help you out here. All right, perfect. So. When I had my assistant originally reach out to you, we talked about looking for somebody who was a vocational coach, but you don't call yourself a vocational coach. What's the distinction between that and a career counselor? Yeah, the term vocational or employment counselor is a little antiquated. It's not so much what I call myself, but what the field. The most common term is either career counselor or career coach, and the two have a lot of overlap. Great. So tell me about how you came to become a career coach. Really started with my values. I saw that my father, who's a Holocaust survivor, for him, work was the ultimate healing, not therapy, not processing, not chatting about it, but really burying himself in work. He ended up being a much more happy and efficacious person and enabled him to heal. And of course, as well, by working hard, you contribute to society, whether you're a clerk or a CEO. If you're productive, as long as it's ethical work, you're contributing. That has been a core value of mine, that work is key. So the thought of helping people find their appropriate work and succeed was the basis on which I decided to become a career counselor. All right. So what sorts of problems does a career counselor or career coach work with and solve? The most frequent thing that people come to me with is, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, even though I'm supposedly grown up. Or I do want to know what I want to be when I grow up, but I can't seem to land a job. But frankly, the most effective work that any career counselor does is not in helping him pick a career because many, many different careers could fit. And the standard tech, the techniques for landing a job are pretty well posted all over the Internet. But the most valuable work that we could do is helping people be more successful on the job, helping them be better critical thinkers, helping them overcome procrastination, teach them how to be better managers, leaders, manage upward. But unfortunately, too few people come to see us for that. So how is it that a career coach could help me be more successful and more productive in my job? Because it seems like that's something, job satisfaction, I've seen statistics that say that a lot of people are not happy with their job. And I think to myself in terms of my husband recently 
they just gave out bonuses. And right after they gave bonuses, a lot of people quit and moved on to another position. So there seems to be a lot of pent-up frustration in people in their positions. So how could we work with somebody like you? It's very easy for people to blame the boss, and sometimes the boss is the ogre. But it's usually not random that people become the boss. And when the bosses do decide to give out bonuses, there are always going to be some disgruntled people, and that's part of the problem with a merit system and awards. It can be subjective. But in general, what I urge my clients to do, and what is often the healthiest, is for, in your case, your husband, to look inward instead of blaming people and looking at the other people who quit. Sure, it's possible that this was a nefarious boss who was unfair and made bonuses according to race, race, gender, sexual orientation, or something other than merit. But before jumping to that, as a career coach, I would have my client, have your husband, take a hard look at himself and what he's done. Has he been smart? Has he been hardworking? Has he been low maintenance? Is his skill set up to speed? We would look far more likely at that moment to moment over the last three months or six months in his work, and that would you know, make it clearer whether that's a wake-up call for him or indeed whether this is one of those terrible bosses where he needs to try to get out. You know, it's interesting that you should say that because one of the reasons why I changed industries is I started to look back at my career as an accountant. I started as an accountant and I started to look at my career and I was noticing that I was changing jobs every couple of years. Often had nothing to do with the work, but I really started to look and notice that the only thing that has changed in those situations has been the jobs, but the same person is in the situation. So I can definitely see the value of looking inward because when I started to look inward, I was able to recognize that perhaps I wasn't in a field that was the best fit for me. And that gave me the opportunity to really look for something else that I could be more successful at. Exactly. And part of that, of course, is identifying really what your best natural gifts are. The kind of implicit model that exists in career coaching is that we're all infinitely malleable and that if we just coach you enough, you can get better at anything. That's BS. Reality is you have strengths and weaknesses. I'm listening to you, frankly, and your verbal skills, and your verbal skills are just okay. They're not great. So I know you're doing this podcast to try to make career transition, but if I was your career coach, I would give you the tough love to say, you know, your verbal skills are just adequate. They're just average. Let's identify what are your best skills, and let's identify a career or a job which is going to utilize your best skills and not try to remediate your weaknesses. You know, too often, I think ineffective counselors are very nice people. They don't give tough love. They're very sweet. They're very supportive. But ultimately, what that tends to engender is more complacency and not growth, where the really effective career counselor is someone who is nurturing and kind where it's appropriate, praises where it's appropriate, supports where appropriate, but gives tough love where it is more appropriate. That's what ultimately leads to career satisfaction. Okay. I can see the value of that. So are there common mis and misconceptions about being a career coach? Yeah, they think it's easy. All you have to do is be a good listener and know a little bit about jobs and know about writing resumes and you're a good career coach. You mentioned in the introduction that I've been given rather a large number of accolades and have a very high client satisfaction rate. And that comes from the fact that I work 70 hours a week and I've been doing it for 26 years. I read constantly. I understand the world of work. There's almost no career you could ask me about that I wouldn't have insider insight into. I've read everything there is to know about resumes, cover letters, 
the art of using social media, its limitations. I'm not sucked in by the hype of social media. Like any other career, to become the go-to guy or go-to girl is not a part-time job. It's not some cushy little thing where you can just sit there and help people with their resumes. It's a very difficult job to understand the world of work, understand human psychology, understand motivation, understand procrastination, understand the job market changing. It is a deceptively easy profession. And the deceptively easy part of it is that people think that they can do it and... Easily. They can work 20 hours a week. They can be, you know, do it part-time and for a couple of years. And they know how to write people's resumes and, you know, and help with the cover list and be a cheerleader and a good listener and give them the Myers-Briggs or the strong interest inventory. They're going to be a career counselor. That's garbage. They'll be terrible. They'll be ineffective. It's a very demanding job. Half psychologist, half cheerleader, half labor market expert. It's a difficult job to be effective. Also, the other thing is the ethical thing. People almost reflexively think that, oh, sure, it's fine to write people's resumes. I think it's totally unethical. I will write nobody's resume because just like any applicant to college, where if they hire somebody to write their college application and say it's deceptive because then the college admissions committee is making a determination of the kid's writing ability, thinking ability, etc., based not on that kid but on the uh, they hired gun. Same with a resume writer. When employers are reviewing a resume, they're not just looking for the work history. They're looking to see how well the person can write, organize their thoughts, be error-free. And so an ethical, so one of the great misconceptions about being a career counselor is that the standard thing, oh, yeah, write the resume, you know, help the person write the resume, write their cover letter, that that's fine. No, that's unethical. You know, in my profession as a college planner, I think that one of the challenges and one of the reasons why I do what I do is because I've seen some practices that are unethical. And so I understand and completely agree when a resume is not a reflection of the person who wrote it, but instead it is a reflection of the person who is offering it and is instead a reflection of the person who wrote it, then you are definitely being unethical. And I can see the value of working with somebody like yourself who will not write a resume, but will help me craft my resume so that I put the best foot forward when I am presenting myself to an employer. And in fact, uh, you know, talking about where a good career counselor adds value you know, you would think implicit in what you say, you know, yeah, you got to put your best foot forward. In some ways, it's the opposite. If you just put your best foot forward, you are creating a, an impression that sets you up for failure on the job. For example, I am not a team player. I'm the world's worst team player. So if I write in my resume what almost all job ad listings want, which is, you know, looking for team player. I may be able to BS my way into that job and put the, if I put that on my resume and in my cover letters and in the interview, but then on the job, if I'm a crappy team player, I'm going to screw up the organization or get fired. The really good career counselor does not help a person put their best foot forward. It helps them put their true foot forward so that they get the right job, the job where their natural self will flower, will succeed, will help themselves and help their organization, not BS their way into a job. That's the difference between a beginning career counselor and one who's effective in the larger cosmic scheme of things because my obligation is not just to my client. 
My obligation is to society, all of our obligations. When you are doing someone's tax return, yes, you are trying to get them to pay the least amount of tax that's legally possible. But it's not to have them pay the least tax because if they don't pay their fair share, somebody else will. Every worker, every employee, from a clerk to a CEO, needs to think cosmically about what's right for the world. And that's what another thing that a good career counselor does. It helps people see the larger perspective of what really matters. It's not just you're getting the job, not just you're getting promotion. It's what's best for you and what's best for the world. Hmm. Well, that's certainly not a opinion that is shared, but I think that it is a opinion that resonates with me. And I'm sure that it resonates with the people who hire you and the employers that get people that have worked with you because putting your authentic self or your true self forward Mm -hmm. is certainly something that would be very, very effective. Because I think to myself, I'm also like you, not a team player. I can play team. I do play team, but my most effective and most true self is somebody who works on her own rather than trying to be a team player. And I I suspect that may be one of the reasons why I had some of the challenges that I had in the past, because I, I said that I was a team player when I am for a job interview and for the first three or four months of a job, six months of a job. But over time, it's hard to stay an inauthentic self when you're in a position. Yep. I had a client once who was a woman who desperately wanted to work for this company called Third Age. It was a, a website that, that was specifically for middle-aged women. And there was an opening for a job that was quite technical. She didn't have great technical skills. And she bullshitted. She said on her application that she had all those skills. She got the job. She bullshitted her way into the interview and got the job. And she ended up screwing up the uh, computer system for that website. And, of course, she got fired in three weeks. And, of course, she had a real hard time when she came to me. You know, how can I get a job now? I just, I said, you know what, I don't want to work with you. In the end, that's what real ethics is. It's turning money away when it's not ethical. In the end, you know, I'm older now. I'm 60, I'll be 63 in June. And when I was 20, I was, you know, I was just like everybody else. I actually was a shoplifter as a teenager. But the older I get, the more I realize that the life well-led is centered around being ethical. And ultimately, yes, you may lose. You will lose some of the time. I got fired from the Atlantic for writing an honest column about the supposed pay gap between men and women. But ultimately, I put my head on the pillow at night feeling good about the way I live my life. And if there's anything that's embedded in this in our conversation, really is that ethics should be primary, period. Well, I completely concur. So let me ask you my next question. Is there a career structure in your field? Is there any kind of education that is necessary? There are various certifications, and many career counselors do get a master's in counseling with a specialization in in career counseling. There also are certificates in career coaching. I have a PhD from Berkeley, and I taught at UC Berkeley's graduate school in their educational psychology department. But it's only because I have that degree, and my specialization actually was an evaluation of of education, that I've actually come to the conclusion that it is wiser to spend your time becoming competent outside of the standard certification processes. Standard certification processes are long on theory, taught by professors who have really not, or don't have the, the magical gift of unlocking people. They're theoreticians. They're good at theoretical models. 
and it cost you years and it cost you a lot of money. In my mind, the best way to learn how to be a career counselor or most things, frankly, is to go and watch the masters. Watch the masters who are really good at transforming human beings and then and read their articles, read their books, and then beg them to watch you. Do freebies for your friends and colleagues. Beg them for feedback. Beg the experts to come and watch you and give you feedback. That is how much a much more likely route to being a counselor of substance rather than the sizzle of a master's degree with a piece of paper that is often very empty. Hmm. You know, it, it's funny because I am no longer living in the Bay Area. I started my career at uh, UC Berkeley, so I'm familiar with the radio station that you are affiliated up in the Bay Area. No, I'm not there. At the, I'm not at the university. I'm on National Public Radio, KALA. Okay, but what I was saying is I'm familiar with KALA. Anyway, we got to be fair. The station is KALW. It's an NPR station, and my show is not work for Marty Nemco. It's work with Marty Nemco. Just, just like to get the facts right, kiddo. All right, thank you. So what I was trying to say is that there is a lot of value in being able to watch a master at work. And certainly I know that I'm a better financial planner by being able to watch the people that I've watched over the years. But the piece of it that I hadn't ever considered uh, that I think is really good advice is to have them watch what you do. I mean, oftentimes when you are learning something, you don't really want to have a master uh, look at your work because you're in the learning process. But being able to get feedback from somebody who is really good at what you're striving to do, I could see a whole lot of value in it. I often will talk to my students about, you know, participating in internships. But I think that participating in internships and then getting some feedback from the person that you are participating with would be really a good fit in terms of learning more about the career and perhaps allowing you to move a little bit faster than those people who just study the theory. Yep. So if you had the opportunity to give a young Marty advice, what advice would you give yourself today knowing what you know now about your career? I have an addiction to novelty. I learn pretty quickly, and I love you know the variety of clients I have. I have an in, I have had college presidents, I've had CEOs, but I've also had real strugglers. I've had doctors and lawyers and teachers and social workers, and that's fun. And I like to think because I do learn pretty quickly, I can get up to speed real fast and be helpful. But in terms of ethics, again, if I were starting all over again, I would specialize. I would probably specialize either in simply, which I kind of narrowly, you know de facto done, really high IQ, really high level people, because that's, I feel I have greatest sympathy for who seem to like me the most, right? We seem to work really well, really, really high level people. So I'd either specialize in that or I'd pick a, a specific niche, like I'd specialize in lawyers, because there are so many unhappy lawyers, and there are so many interesting niches for lawyers and people who were former lawyers. I'd specialize so that I could truly be the goat guy for some niche. I think that's the big change I'd make. All right. So what gets you up in the morning to serve your clients? And the other side of that is what keeps you up at night? I love getting up every morning. I am so, because I've stayed with this for 26 years, you know, I look, get up in the morning knowing I'm looking forward to the client because I know I'm going to be able to help them. And because, as I said, work is so important. It's critical to the person's sense of self. It's critical to their income. And it's critical to society, helping people find their right work and be their best selves at work.
So I never have a moment where I say, oh, I'd rather stay in bed. Never, ever, ever. I love it. And nothing really keeps me up at night because I haven't tried to BS my way. I've done this for 26 years. I do read constantly. I do, you know, now I must admit I don't, you know, go to conferences as much as I used to because I just don't gain enough to justify the cost and the time and the hassle. But I work so hard at it that, you know, I feel really great about it every day. And I never feel bad about it. You know, I, my thing about in bed is, ooh, I want to write that column tomorrow, you know, about this topic or that topic. But I normally just put my head on the pillow with a great feeling. Okay, put another hard day's work in. Good. Can't wait till tomorrow. All right. So you talked about that work is really good for the self. It's also good for society. And perhaps it's also good for the income that it provides. And you also talked about the fact that you're a voracious reader. So is there any books that you would suggest somebody who was just considering the industry pick up and read? And it sounds like you would also suggest that they continue to be readers throughout their whole life and pick up all sorts of different types of books. Yeah. Well, of course, it's obvious that the classic book is still quite good that gets, you know, revised every year. It's called What College Parachute. But I think we're in an era where, thanks to the wonders of the Internet, the article is a far better choice, reading articles, than books, because articles are they're posted instantly. They're really current. They're really instant. And because of Google's, Google's fantastic algorithm, the articles that come up first or near the top of a Google search are very often the most potent. They're the ones that have been most forwarded to other people, have the most links and backlinks to them, etc. So I would encourage you to be... Yes, start with a foundational book like What Calls Your Parachute, but then take individual topics that you really want specific expertise on. If you Google the word resumes or interviews or whatever, very you will see some of the most potent articles because an article can be read in just a few minutes and yet it's the collective wisdom of somebody who's an expert and written about it for a lifetime. So that's what I would suggest. Okay. So are there any changes that are going on in your industry that somebody who is considering the profession needs to be aware of? Yeah, dramatic. It's constantly changing. You know, there certainly are some still status quo people who just say, okay, career counseling is all about just, you know, write a good resume and a cover letter and prepare for the interview and then send a nice thank you letter and, uh, you know, network more. But yes, there certainly are changes. You know, the old, for example, used to be, you'd say, well, you know, you should get an informational interview and talk to people about what it's really like in the career. Well, people are way too busy these days to give informational interviews, and most people, most job seekers who try to get them get frustrated because they can't find the person, let alone somebody's willing to meet with them. So it is the art of using LinkedIn, using Facebook, using Twitter, using some more tools. You know, there are even things like a Twesume, you know, a common a Twitter resume, where people are creating 140-character resumes. So there are constant changes, you know, that are, I don't know, I wouldn't call them revolutionary. The field tends to be evolutionary. But, yeah, there are changes like that. Well, certainly I had never heard of doing a resume on Twitter, but it would really allow you to, since you're limited in the number of characters, it would really limit how you put yourself out there, and it would really force you to think about what do you want to be known for and how do you want to be known because you're limited in characters in order to do that. Right, what's your brand? And employers are ever interested in fast ways to screen people and they're also looking for employees that are social media savvy so by doing that by doing a twesome it kills those two birds with one stone i'm not saying it's a magic pill but you have some you know something that's changing that's kind of hot at the moment how well it's going to last i'm not sure but 
certainly posting, you know, having your brand in 140 characters. In other words, for example, you know, seven years as forensic CPA specializing in employee theft and then have a link to your resume. That's a pretty good way to brand yourself in a hurry. So it could be a useful tool. It doesn't take a lot of time to develop. So if consumers were looking for a way to identify a career counselor, is there a recommendation that you would make in terms of finding the right person for themselves? It's a great question. It is, it's ironic I'm going to say this, but it's the truth. I think that Yelp is a very good source because it is consumer reviews. That said, if you would look on Yelp for me, you'll see that there are six Yelp reviews that are what are called unfiltered, those you just see right away and about 47 that are filtered for a reason I don't quite understand, frankly, because I can be crusty and I have a very prominent you know, role in my radio show and my columns or whatever. My fellow career counselors do not like me. I'm very critical of the field as well. So a friend of mine who is a career counselor told me that a couple of my fellow career counselors got together, got drunk, and decided to pretend that they were clients of mine I have a lot of career counselors watch me do my work, so they know exactly how I work. They pretended to be clients of mine and wrote horrible Yelp reviews, calling me horrible things. And so, in my case, I think you'll see that there are a few, about 95% or more than 90% of the Yelp reviews are fabulous on me, but then there are these few that are absolutely nightmarish, and they're not real. But the problem with Yelp is that you never know the real from the false ones. But if I were looking for a career counselor, that said, or anything else, I would trust those reader reviews quite a bit, but then I would talk on the phone with, you know, two or three of them because there is a chemistry issue. You know, as you can tell, you know, we all have different personalities. So the person who would fall in love with me and say, this is the guy I need, I need a kind of a straight shooting, tough love, smart guy. There can be somebody who's very frail and vulnerable and he or she is going to want a very nurturing, gentle, slow paced, patient person. The right career counselor for one person could be the wrong person for another. So you should, after using the Yelp reviews, you should chat for a few minutes with the career counselor to get a feel for what they're like and whether there's compatibility. Compatibility is something that is really important. How long would a person typically work with a person like you? Is it a short engagement, a long-term engagement? Would it depend upon what they're trying to achieve? It varies somewhat in my case. The typical client, I send a very probing new client questionnaire to the client before they ever meet with me so that we can really hit the ground running. I have them send it to me at least four hours in advance of our session. I study it before they come in or we work. I have a lot of clients by Skype and phone these days. And I study their questionnaire and then, you know, I the first session springboards off that. That enables us to get really get a lot done in the first session, which in my case is two hours. The average client sees me a total of maybe four or five hours more after that first two-hour session. So I'm really quite quick. I really do try to get to the essence of it, even though, of course, it means I make less money. You know, But again, the ethics thing is primary. There are many other career counselors who want to keep people there for eight, ten sessions or longer, and I find that that's unethical and unnecessary if you're good at what you're doing. I do have clients who will come see me every six months or a year for a career checkup, almost like the way you go to a dentist. You know, they're saying, here's what's going on in my career right now. I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. And I kind of help them with the strategy and tactics of moving forward. But my, the main thing I tend to do is that what I just described. Somebody comes in career clueless. They're not sure what they want to do or whatever. And they see me for a total of maybe uh, five, six hours. Okay. 
So is there anything that you think that your industry could do as a whole to encourage students to consider the profession as a career path? I think there is an oversupply of career counselors, so I think it's the opposite. I think what sh the real message should be, this is a tough profession to do well. It's easy to get into, but it's hard to be effective. And here's what you really need to do to be effective. But if so, if you're looking for a challenge and have the combination of the gifts of, yes, being able to unlock people, yes, being supportive when necessary, but tough when necessary, have the ability to learn massive amounts of information about the job market because, yes, you can send people to the Internet or whatever, but in the end, in the, in the clinches of the interview, you have to have a lot in your head about lots of careers and who fits where and why. I think having a smaller number of career counseling, better ones is critical because the field of career counseling does not have a great, great reputation. We laugh at them very often. You know, those are those idiots who tell us we should be funeral director or forest ranger or whatever because the tests are, are really not as valid as they should be. The, the Myers-Briggs and the strong inventory are just very weak in predictive validity. And so it really remains an art. So it's got to be somebody who's really, really talented to do the field well, to be effective as a career counselor. I think that that's a very accurate statement based on what I've heard from some of the students. They said that, you know, at school they were told to take these tests and oftentimes they've got these careers that are so out of the realms of what the kids would even consider that they completely disregard them as having any kind of validity. I believe that there's probably some validity, but perhaps the outcomes of those tests is not as predictive as it could be. Exactly. At all. It's just that's, that's, there is, that's what the field really needs. The field needs better predictive validity instruments. And that's what uh, you asked me what I would, if I was starting over again, I might focus on trying to reinvent the field. The field does need reinvention. It needs much more valid instruments, much more predictably valid instruments. Because, you know, you can't have a nation full of really intuitively brilliant career counselors. They're going to need instruments, but the current crop of, you know, the Myers-Briggs and the Strong and other personality inventories just, you know, or strengths finder, or just don't have the predictive validity. So if I were starting again, I might certainly complement my practice with developing a predictively valid instrument. Great. So do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Nothing other than that I think it's almost sacred, the responsibility of being a career counselor. You're dealing with people's lives. One's happiness, one's productivity is so dependent on finding the right work. It's really depressing being long-term unemployed or being in the wrong job or wrong field. And so it's almost a sacred calling and one that has to be taken most seriously, which is, I think, embedded in everything I've said in this interview. So that's my closing comment. All right. So if somebody wanted to get more information about you, how would they reach out to you or would you direct them to your website? Yeah, I think website is fine. I've given away, I've written, had over 2,000 articles published and I've given them all away free. They're all archived, as well as the archive of my NPR radio show. So you can get all that for free. And then if after that, you feel like that's not enough, you need a more personal touch, then you can email me. My email address is on the website. But start with the website, get what you can for free. And then if you want more, then you can email me. All right. Website's martynemco.com. M-A-R-T-Y-N like Nancy, E-M like Mary, K-O dot com. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast with me, Marty. I really do appreciate it. And for our listeners today, if you'd like to get more information about Marty, his information will be in our show notes. 
To learn more about the college planning process, I invite you to visit our website at www.collegefundingresource.com. I also encourage our listeners to keep coming back to listen to more of our Career 100 podcasts. If you like our podcasts, then we invite you to go into our iTunes channel and rate our podcasts. At College Funding Resource, you'll be able to listen to guests like Marty, who have valuable information to share about different careers for you to consider. And I want to especially take the time today to thank our listeners for joining us, and I hope that you will join us again for the next installment of the Career 100 podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast, where we'll continue to interview experts in the top 100 careers for 2011, giving you the insider's view of their chosen profession. If you'd like more information about planning and saving for college and to instantly download your free copy of College Funding Resources Report, Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Kathy Davis for the Career 100 Podcast.